Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Romans 8, 12 through 17. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the spirit you put to death, the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the word of God for the people of God. God, thank you. Won't you pray with me for just a moment, please? Lord, we're hungry today, hungry for a word that will encourage and enlighten and inspire and challenge us. Hungry today for your truth that will empower us to be beacons of truth in our world. Thank you, Lord, for this time. We're open and receptive. May your spirit do a good work in us and through your word. We pray that in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Maybe you recall the name Danny Foley. Uh, A couple years ago, he became somewhat famous for a prank that he played on the University of Virginia. Danny Foley was a student, in fact, is a student at... uh, James Madison University out in the Shenandoah Valley near Harrisonburg, Virginia. But he's a big UVA basketball fan. Loves the, the men's college basketball team there. And uh, He notices because he watches a lot of games, he, he noticed that the assistant coaches for UVA all wore the same clothes. Kind of like a uniform. They wore a dark suit, a white shirt, and a bright orange necktie. Which caused him to wonder what it would be like to be an assistant coach for UVA. And so... Uh, That particular spring, the spring of 2014, uh, the ACC championship was being held in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina, and turned out that UVA was going to be playing Duke in the championship game. So the day before the championship, Danny got in a car, went down to Greensboro, and he went to a nearby Walmart, and he bought a dark suit and a bright orange tie and a white shirt, and he uh, managed to also uh, score a ticket to the Championship game, a $30 ticket up in the nosebleed section of the Greensboro Coliseum. And then he arrived for the game dressed up in his suit. And he sat up in the nosebleed section where he had his ticket until there's about two minutes left in the game. And there was a TV timeout. And that's when Danny made his move. He walked down from the nosebleed section right to the edge of the court, right past an usher. And then with great confidence, right past the security guard, right past the UVA cheerleaders, and right into the huddle of the UVA men's basketball team right in front of their bench on the court. After the huddle was over and the timeout was over, instead of going back up to a seat, he sat at the chair at the end of the bench and enjoyed the last two minutes of the game. UVA won the game. Enjoyed those last two minutes on the bench with the team. And then after the game was over, you know how the team's... Line up and they walk and they shake hands. He got in line and went down shaking hands. In fact, there's a picture of Danny Foley right there shaking hands with Duke coach Mike Krzyzewski, Coach K, 
Uh, he got his mug on TV. In fact, he stayed there for the celebration on court after, you know, the confetti's fallen. Everybody's high-fiving and hugging each other. He even got the championship hat and he wore the championship t-shirt. He was having a great time. Until one of the assistant coaches noticed him and didn't recognize him and began asking. And then Danny knew it was time to slip away. So he did. He was interviewed by many uh, television outlets, and uh, he became quite famous for a brief period of time. And, and I think we can all appreciate the cleverness of that prank, and it's pretty impressive. It's also harmless. And Danny knew he wasn't a UVA assistant coach. He knew he was just playing a role. He knew he just wanted to see if he could get away with it. Sometimes we like to pretend. I remember when I was a kid, we had a little wiffle ball stadium that I had built in my, my backyard. I loved playing baseball and wiffle ball and uh, all the kids in the neighborhood come over. We have these wiffle ball tournaments and whenever I got up to bat, I was always Frank Howard, the home run hitter for the Washington Senators back, you know, long time ago. And uh, uh, I had I had seen so much of Frank Howard. I knew how he stood. I knew how he swung the bat. I knew every all of his mannerisms and I knew how he ran around the bases when he'd hit a home run. So I, for a For a brief moment in my backyard on a summer afternoon, I would be Frank Howard. But I knew I was just kidding. I wasn't who I really was. But sometimes we like to pretend. We like to play a role. But then there are times when we probably shouldn't. Times when playing a role means we're being frauds or phonies or not being authentic. Certainly when it comes to living out the Christian faith, We're cautioned not to be phony about that. Jesus himself uh, mentioned that uh, there are some who who are just pretending to to be Christians. And on the last day, he said they'll come and they'll say, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, I'm sorry, I never knew you. He said that the, the road that leads to his kingdom is narrow and the gate is small and only a few find it. He says the road that leads to destruction is wide and easy and a lot of people travel that. Jesus tells a parable about a guy who got a ticket or, or an invitation to uh, a wedding feast. And when he shows up at the wedding feast, the, the doorkeeper says, I'm sorry, uh, I don't know where you got that invitation, but, but I don't recognize you. you. You can't come in. In a variety of ways, Jesus seems to be warning or cautioning people that it's possible to fool yourself into thinking that you are truly saved, that you are truly one of God's chosen ones, that you are in right relationship with him but actually not be. That can make us a little uncomfortable. I mean, how do you know for sure if you're authentic or a pretender? In psychology, they have this uh, syndrome called the imposter syndrome. Have you ever heard of it? It happens to uh, people sometimes who are high achievers, athletes, movie stars, great singers, people with, with a lot of talent who do great things. Uh, who in spite of all of the accolades and all of the awards and all of the trophies and all of the, the, the external accoutrements of success in their chosen field feel on the inside like they're faking it. That they're not really this talented, they're not really this good, and someday someone's going to discover them and say, hey, you're, you're an imposter. We don't want to have the imposter syndrome in our faith. You know, it, it, it's odd that on the one hand, Jesus warns us about not fooling ourselves. Yet on the other hand, we are told in Scripture, and Jesus assures us, that we can be sure that we're living in the faith and that we can be confident of our salvation. In fact, we're told this is one of the functions of the Holy Spirit, to to 
assure us that we are, in fact, the children of God. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So welcome back to a series that uh, we began a couple weeks ago called Every Player Needs a Coach. And we're saying that the Holy Spirit is like a coach for you and me. The, 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 the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in the heart and in the life of believers. And the Holy Spirit has specific functions that uh, He's supposed to do in our lives. He's supposed to teach us, instruct us, remind us of things that we already know that we sometimes forget. He's also to empower us to live out the life that God calls us to live. And today we're going to look at another very important function of the Holy Spirit, which is to assure us that we are, in fact, children of God, that we are, in fact, authentic Christians, that we are indeed forgiven of our sins and given the gift of eternal life and have the opportunity to live out this life in a confident relationship with God. Because our Lord wants us to be confident. Our Lord wants us to know that we are loved, that we're forgiven, that we have a a destiny, an eternal destiny. So let's uh, take a look at Romans chapter 8 today. If you brought your Bible, I encourage you to open to Romans Chapter 8, we're going to look at the scripture for today. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Christians in Rome, and he is uh, he's talking about the fact that uh, we're saved by grace, but uh, being saved is not like getting a ticket to heaven. It's more like being adopted into a family. And that once you receive this gift of salvation, you now have a new identity. In fact, you are adopted into the family of God. You are now a child of God. And that phrase there is uh, of child of God or being, being part of the children of God. That's a very specific phrase that's used to, to denote a new status, a new identity. On Easter Sunday, when uh, I preached the Easter Sunday message, I, I commented on the fact that uh, we like to think that everybody's a, children, a child of God by virtue of the fact that we're born into this life. And we sometimes say, well, aren't we all children of God? Not according to the Scripture. Now, now I want to be careful what I say here because... Uh, that's not to say God doesn't love us all. It doesn't, that's not to say God doesn't want us to be His children. It, it's not to say that we aren't all created by God with the opportunity to become His children. But this phrase, child of God, in the Scripture is used in a very specific way to describe those who are actual uh, legitimate children of God by virtue of their adoption into God's family. And you have to understand, in the Roman world, that was really important. In, Ro- in, in the Roman world... Your status was determined by your family, what family you were a part of. And and so the the opportunities and obligations and responsibilities and all these things were based on your family identity. And and so this is why in, in John's Gospel, it says, To as many as receive Jesus, to them he gives the power to become children of God. This is why Paul writes to the Galatians and says, you are now children of God through your faith in Christ Jesus. And this is why today in the Scripture, the Apostle Paul is saying, you have a new identity as children of God by virtue of the fact that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you to give you that confidence and assurance uh, that you've received Jesus. Notice what it says here in verse 15. It says, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave to fear, but you received a spirit of adoption or a spirit of sonship by which we cry, Abba, Father. What he's saying here is, you don't have to fear whether or not you're a child of God. If you have accepted Christ, if you've received the Spirit, the Spirit will give you the confidence, will assure you that you are, in fact, a child of God, and you can call God Abba or Father. If you have your own Bible, circle that word Abba, A-B-B-A. It is not referencing a Swedish pop rock group from the 70s. 
It's actually a, an Aramaic word that means daddy or papa. It's a term of endearment and intimacy. And what Paul is saying here is God wants you and me to have an intimate, personal relationship with Him and to experience Him as a loving Heavenly Father and us as His beloved children. And one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life is so that we can be confident that we are, in fact, God's children. The Spirit, notice verse 16, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are, in fact, children of God. So while, yes, it's possible to perhaps for some people to deceive themselves into thinking that they're in Christ, that they're saved, that they're taught of God, uh, we can be sure, we don't have to worry and be fooled because we can rely on the assurance that the Holy Spirit gives us. And yet, in spite of that truth, there are people who sometimes question whether or not they're true Christians. They begin to wonder, am I really a Christian or am I faking it? How do I know for sure? What happens if I stand before the Lord someday and, and He says, I'm sorry, I never knew you. And so in the time we have left this morning, I want to offer you assurance that you can, you can know that you're a child of God, that you are forgiven of your sins, that you're saved, that you're, you're, you're in God's family, and you now have a, a, a calling in this life and a destiny for your eternity. And to, to help us gain this assurance that God wants us to have, I'm going to ask two diagnostic questions that I want you to try to answer in your heart. Two diagnostic questions that will help you and I have the assurance that God wants us to have about our eternal destiny, about our salvation, about our identity as His beloved children. Here's the first question. Have you ever asked the Holy Spirit in your life? Have you ever asked God to send the Holy Spirit to dwell in you? Because the assurance comes from having the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes when we ask to receive the Holy Spirit in our life. When we ask Jesus to come into our heart to be our Lord and our Savior, we're asking the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that was in Jesus, to dwell within us. Interesting, in uh, Acts chapter uh, 19, uh, the church in Ephesus, uh, the Apostle Paul comes to visit that church in Ephesus, and he comes across a group of people who thought they were Christians, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit. They'd never even heard of the Holy Spirit. They'd heard of Jesus, and they believed, well, Jesus died on the cross, and, and that's a good thing, and... And, and that's all they knew. They, did, they didn't understand that, that the Holy Spirit wanted to dwell in them. So Paul explained it, and then they received the Holy Spirit. They asked for and received the Holy Spirit. God wants you and I to receive the Holy Spirit into our heart, into our life. And we get the Holy Spirit by asking. Jesus makes this clear in Luke chapter 11, where he says, Who among you who are parents, if you have a child, and your child asks you for something good, like a, like a fish, would instead give your child a snake? Or if your child asked for an egg, would give your child a scorpion. Jesus says, none of you would do that. No parent would do that to their child. And so Jesus says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who, what? Ask. Those who ask. So, receiving the Holy Spirit is simply a matter of believing that God wants to give the Holy Spirit to us and then asking and receiving the Holy Spirit because we've asked. You know, I'm a father. I'm now a grandfather, but I'm a father. And here's what I know. If my, if one of my two children comes to me and they're asking me for something that I know is good for them, that I know I want them to have anyway, and that I'm anxious to give to them, when they ask, I'm going to give it. And so it is with, with the Heavenly Father wants you and I to have His Holy Spirit within us. He wants to give us the Holy Spirit because He knows we can't really live the Christian life and experience what He has for us without that Holy Spirit. He's ready to give. The question is, have we asked? 
have we received? And if you're not sure, we're going to settle that right now. We're going to, we're going to pray and invite the Holy Spirit into our heart, into our life. So uh, that, this isn't the end of the sermon. But bow your head for a second and let's, let's, let's just pray. Let's, let's pray this prayer together. Lord God, I believe you want to give me the Holy Spirit because you want me to be sure that you love me, that I am your child, and that I have not only the gift of eternal life, but I have a calling on my life here and now. And so, Holy Spirit, come and dwell within me. Fill me with love and joy and power and peace, all the things that the Bible says I can have and experience. And help me, most of all, to be confident that I am a beloved child of a Heavenly Father who loves me and cares for me and wants the best for me. Thank you for this good gift. I embrace it with great joy and thank you. Amen. Now here's the deal. If you pray the prayer and you earnestly in your heart believe that, you have no reason to doubt that you have the Holy Spirit. You have no reason to doubt that you are indeed a child of God. The Holy Spirit will bear witness with your spirit that you are indeed a child of God. God doesn't want you to be a slave to fear and doubt and uncertainty. God wants you to be sure. Hebrews uh, 14.6 says, We can approach the throne of God's grace with confidence. God wants His children to be confident. And that's why He gives us the Holy Spirit. So that's the first question. If you, if you doubt your salvation, if you're not sure, have you asked and received the Holy Spirit? And today, if you prayed that prayer, you can say, yes, I asked, I've received. Here's, but here's the second question. Because some of you already have the Holy Spirit, but you still had some doubts. Here's the second question. Are you perhaps quenching the Holy Spirit? Are you perhaps quenching the Holy Spirit? 1 Thessalonians 5.19 tells us that it's possible to have the Holy Spirit in your life, but, but resist and ignore and quench the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Or other translations put it this way, do not put out the Holy Spirit's fire. Because see, the Holy Spirit is like a fire in our heart, in our life, giving us passion for the things that God cares about, giving us warmth, giving us light. The church, by the way, should be a church where the, the fire of the Holy Spirit is evident. Metaphorically speaking, I'm not saying we, we need to have fire, but one of the reasons we have uh, altar with candles on it sometimes is to acknowledge the, the light of Christ and the fire of the Holy Spirit, the flame of the Holy Spirit at work. In fact, our United Methodist symbol is, symbol is a cross with a flame on it. And the flame is a symbol for the Holy Spirit. The early Methodist church was so passionate about God and so passionate about worship and so passionate about living out their faith because the Holy Spirit was, was alive. And it's a responsibility of, of the leaders of the church and the people of the church to make sure there's always that, that hunger and passion for the Holy Spirit's fire in the life of the church. When that doesn't happen... Church starts to get boring, stale, disinteresting. Right? You ever been to a church like that? Not here, I hope. I get a kick out of the story about the uh, the the church that it actually literally caught on fire, and the fire department came out, and the pastor came out to see what was going on, and the the fire department was trying to put out the fire, and the pastor noticed. There was a fireman holding the hose who happened to be a long-time member of the church. Hadn't been to the church in years. So the pastor kind of went over just to be a little smart-alecky and said, oh, Hey, Fred. First time I've seen you in church. The fireman looked at him and said, Yeah, first time I've ever seen the church on fire. Friends, 
as the Church of Jesus Christ, one of the churches here in Stafford, we want to be a church on fire, don't we? We want to be a church where there is an energy, there is a passion, there is a, there is a sense of love and grace and joy and peace. That comes when we refuse to quen- when we, when we make a commitment that we will not quench the Holy Spirit. We will not let the fire of the Spirit go out in our lives or in the life of our, our church. Because our coach is trying to stir up a passion within us. And we don't want to neglect that or ignore that. So, so, so how do we, how do we do, why do we sometimes uh, quench the Spirit? How, how do we avoid quenching the Spirit? Well, one of the reasons we often start to quench the Spirit in our life is because one of the things the Holy Spirit will do in your life and in my life is start to draw us outside of our comfort zone. The Holy Spirit will start to lead us to do things that maybe we're not comfortable doing. And a lot of us, once we start feeling the Spirit nudging us outside the comfort zone, we just find it easier to quench the Spirit than to actually get outside our comfort zone and do whatever we think the Spirit is leading us to do. I'll give you an example. I had a, a conversation a couple weeks ago with a, a gentleman who had served as a mentor during our confirmation training this past winter. We do a confirmation training program here. It's about 12 weeks. It includes a retreat at the end of the, the training. And it's an opportunity for young people to learn the basics of the Christian faith and then uh, if they haven't already done so, they accept Jesus as their Lord and their Savior if they're ready to do that, and then uh, they're ready to join the church. And so we make a big deal of this because that's such a critical time in a, in a young person's life. And one of the things we do in confirmation training is we have adults, not their parents, but adults serve as mentors, guides, encouragers, to, to go to the confirmation class with them, to, to stay in touch with them, to help them wrestle with their faith and, and come to a, a saving faith in Jesus Christ and uh, so what's beautiful about this church is whenever we are getting ready to do confirmation and we ask for mentors, people always come forward. It's a great thing. Uh, but this particular year, uh, a guy came forward who hadn't done it before. And he said, I don't know why, but I just felt that the Lord was asking me to do this. He said, I got way outside my comfort zone. I, I didn't feel like I could do this. I wasn't sure. But he said, you know, the, the hardest part was volunteering and saying, I want to do this. I believe God wants me to do this. He said, once I actually got into it and started doing it, I, I found that it was... It, it was a great experience and that, that I could sense the Lord working in my life. And he said, I learned as much as the kids. It was just a great experience. Now, here's what happened. The Holy Spirit was drawing this guy outside his comfort zone. He had every reason, every excuse to say, no, I don't want to do that. I don't feel like do that. I'm not comfortable doing that. But he did it anyway. And when he got outside his comfort zone, here's what he discovered. The power of God was waiting for him right there. The Lord is ready to do a new thing in his life. And this is how, this, friends, this is how we grow in our faith. This is how we discover experientially the presence and power of God in our life. The Holy Spirit will call you and me to take a step outside our comfort zone, and on the inside we'll start saying, man, I don't feel like doing that. That makes me uncomfortable. I'm not sure. And we're trained to think, if something makes me uncomfortable, if something takes me to an area where I, I'm not sure I, I, I feel right, if, it, then, then we're trained to think that means I'm not supposed to go. But in the ch- church, many times it's the opposite. The very fact that you're uncomfortable is probably a sign God's leading you somewhere new. And God is planning to use that for His glory because it's only when we get outside our comfort zone that we experience the presence and the power of God in new and vital ways. Amen? I'm telling you, as a pastor, I... Uh, I come across this all the time. I come across people who say, I was uncomfortable, I was nervous, but I stepped out in faith and God showed up in a big way. At the same time, as a pastor, sometimes I come across people who, who get kind of spiritually stagnant and they get kind of spiritually dull and they 
They start to lose their passion and they start to lose, that fire starts to go out. And when we talk about that, and they say they feel stuck or they feel that they, they don't feel like the, the they, they sense the Lord like they used to working in their life. Almost always when we talk about that, we, we end up finding something in their life that the Holy Spirit is asking them to do and they've been resisting and quenching and, and, and saying no to the Spirit. This is why I say to people all the time, if you want to live the Christian life, you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Because that's where the Spirit is leading you. He's leading you to those new areas because it's an adventure with God. And that adventure requires us to put ourselves in places where we can can be reliant on the Holy Spirit and His presence and His power. And that's usually outside our comfort zone. I'm wrestling with this right now. Because our church is at a place where we have to make some really uh, important decisions. And uh, some of those decisions are going to be difficult for me to make. Because I've been at this church for so long, I- I've kind of gotten into a comfort level. And for the Spirit to kind of be pulling me, I'm praying for clarity and courage and, and trying to sense where the Spirit is, is leading our church. Because here's what I know, it's easy to just start to get in a rut, to get comfortable. Back in 2011, Jason Brown was a football player in the NFL. He was the highest paid center. He paid, played for the St. Louis Rams. And uh, he was a Christian. But since being in the NFL, his, his life in Christ had begun to kind of drift. He, he just wasn't a strong, a strong Christian as he was when he first entered the NFL. Maybe it's something about the NFL lifestyle. Uh, but uh, he was very well paid, and uh, he uh, had several very high-end homes. He had a collection of very high-end automobiles. And yet at the same time, his marriage was falling apart. His kids were acting up. And uh, he wasn't sure what was going on, but he kind of got into this crisis of, of not knowing what the purpose of his life was really all about. And uh, he recommitted himself to Christ. And as he uh, got around some Christian brothers and sisters and began to read the Scriptures and pray and, and get back into those spiritual disciplines that help nurture our relationship with God, he, he felt God was asking him to do something he never thought he'd do. He, he felt God was asking him to walk away from his football career, something that he loved dearly. And yet, in obedience, Jason took that step. He was uncomfortable, but he did it. He walked away from the St. Louis Rams. He turned down three other offers from NFL teams. And... Uh, he ended up selling all his high-end homes and all his high-end automobiles, and he and his family moved to North Carolina and started a farm. It's called First Fruits Farm, and the purpose of this farm is to raise food for hungry people living in eastern North Carolina. Last year, Jason's First Fruits Farm grew and gave away over 10,000 pounds of cucumbers and over 100,000 pounds of sweet potatoes. And Jason will tell you, he has never been more excited and happy in his life Because the Holy Spirit was calling him in a direction he wasn't comfortable, but he went anyway, and God showed up and began doing great things in his marriage, in his family, and in this new ministry he started. So what am I, what am I saying to you today? Am I saying that God's calling all of us to quit our jobs and sell everything we got and go start a dairy farm? Yes, let's go do it. No, no. Here's what I'm really saying. There's no telling what the Holy Spirit might do in your life and in my life. It's usually one step at a time. But a lot of time, that first step can be pretty uncomfortable. Do it anyway. Don't quench the Spirit. Because it's only as we follow in obedience to where the Spirit is leading us that we begin to live into our identity as beloved children of God. And we begin to understand 
what it is God is trying to do in us and through us. The Holy Spirit is our coach. And our coach wants to assure us of who we are, but also call us to be better than we've ever been before. We have not received a spirit of slavery to fear. We have received the spirit of sonship, daughtership, the spirit of adoption. Our Papa has plenty of grace and power and goodness for us. He has wonderful plans and purposes for our life. So ask for the Holy Spirit. And don't quench the Spirit when the Spirit's leading you in a new direction. Then you won't have to worry about the imposter syndrome. The Holy Spirit will will be bearing witness with your spirit that you are indeed a child of God. And you'll have a great story to tell about what it means to experience the Spirit's power.